It's always showtime at BetMGM Sports. You can make your first bet risk-free up to $1,000 when you sign up with the code SHERDOG. Don't let another game day go by without having the ultimate sports betting app in the palm of your hand. Discover non-stop excitement with BetMGM's state-of-the-art technology and dozens of betting options, including live wagers, props, parlays, and much more. No matter what your favorite sport is or how you like to wager, find out why there's nothing like getting a W at the king of sportsbooks. Use the code SHERDOG and make your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Download the BetMGM app and sign up today. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Arizona. Colorado, Washington, D.C., Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, Mississippi, New Jersey, Nevada, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, or Wyoming only. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire in seven days from issuance. Excludes Michigan disassociated persons. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, Washington, D.C., Louisiana, Nevada, Wyoming, and Virginia. Call 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help uh, in Michigan, 1-800-GAMBLER in Illinois, Indiana, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia, or 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. In Tennessee, call the red line at 800-889-9789. In Mississippi, call 1-888-777-9696. Sports betting is void where prohibited. Promotional offers not available in Nevada. All right. It is the week of May 2nd, 2022, and this is the Fight Business Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Ogier. Today, we're going to talk about a couple of comments made by some disgruntled fighters with the UFC, particularly Aljamain Sterling, asking the question, I believe it was on the MMA Hour, if the UFC gave up an extra 5% of their revenue to fighters, wouldn't kill them, right? Let's examine that question. What happens if the UFC gives an additional 5% revenue to the fighters from their top line? What does that look like? We're going to dive pretty deep into that just to just to kind of show a little bit of what we know we're gonna have to do some hypothetical sure but i think the answer is going to surprise a lot of people because there are some factors that aren't being considered in that question seems straightforward answer not so much uh then we're going to talk about pfl and bellator ratings have pfl and bellator ratings for the past couple weeks come out not exactly the numbers we want to see but one company is doing significantly better than the other we'll talk about that as well uh, then we've got to talk about the road to you Tournament's been announced uh, where it's a win advance tournament in order to get into the UFC, four different weight classes. It's really more of a great business plan. And we'll kind of talk about a little similarities to tough and why the UFC is going with this format for people getting into the UFC and not actually implementing tournaments in the UFC itself. We'll get into that as well. Then we've got our quick hit section where we're going to talk about David Zaslov's involvement with the UFC. Uh, the return of the Ultimate Fighter, Tough, is back. It did start this week. I don't know how many of you are watching. If you are watching Tough, let me know in the comments below because I've got to beat more of you guys. Uh, and then Bellator and Eagle FC crossover. So we'll do some quick hit section on that. And then last but not least, we have to talk 
about Francis Ngannou and Chris Cyborg, who are free agents, and whether they should do boxing or MMA, because both of them have talked about boxing. We've had Tyson Fury talk to Ngannou about boxing, Dana White talk about that. You've had Cyborg talk about both boxing and then Kayla Harrison, possibly. We'll cover all of the options for both of them and which makes more business sense and why more and more we keep seeing MMA fighters being talked about in the boxing world. With that in mind, timestamps at the bottom as always. Let's go ahead and dive right. All right, so first thing we have to talk about today, you have a lot of disgruntled fighters, especially lately it seems, talking about the UFC's mistreatment of them. Uh, Tony Ferguson talking in the lead-up to UFC 274, obviously. Anderson Silva with some comments this week about the UFC using him. Doesn't care about the legacy. But one comment in particular stuck out to me a couple weeks ago. And that was Aljamain Sterling's comments on, I believe, the MMA Hour, discussing how they're underpaid, fighters as as a whole are, and how an extra 5% from the UFC top line revenue wouldn't kill them, right? Like, why not give us an extra 5%? Why not give us fighters an extra 5%? It won't won't kill the promotion. And he's right. Of course it won't, right? I mean, they're making a lot of money. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, then I highly recommend you stop this episode, you come back to it, uh, you go listen to the previous episodes about the antitrust lawsuit, litigation, some of the competitive advantage strategy sessions that I've talked about. Uh, Check out John Nash's work, uh, Paul Giff's, Jason Cruz, all of that stuff, just briefly, and then come back so you at least have some basis know where I'm going here. If if you've been listening to the podcast, you already know what we're talking about, that classic, that ceiling that is imposed by the UFC on its fighters, where as part of being sold, they said you cannot go – we're not going to let fighters get paid more than 20% of the overall revenue share. That's how we're going to keep costs down, our variable costs anyway. Um, but let's examine Aljo's comments for a bit. Because, yes, it would not kill the UFC, but how would it change things? How would just 5% more revenue going to the fighters affect the UFC's bottom line and, importantly, Endeavor's bottom line? because that's a huge piece of this puzzle, right? Endeavor owns the UFC outright. They own it 100% now. Makes a big difference how much money the UFC is making. We've talked about this on previous episodes. It is the crown jewel of the Endeavor portfolio, is the UFC. Swamp with debt. They need money. So let's let's... Before we get ahead of ourselves, let's just break this down. Okay, so the UFC approximately made around, we'll say, $900 million in EBITDA last year. I think it was $890, something like that was the estimate. So that's, that's just pure profit. So almost a billion dollars in profit, which is insane. So 5% of that, right, is 45, 400, or yeah, $45 million, not 400, $45 million dollars that's a lot of money it it makes a huge difference for the fighters right i mean that 45 million dollars spread out across all the fighters obviously in different tiers still a, a pay bump for everybody involved easily um and for the bigger guys probably a bigger cut 
especially your stars, your guys like Adesanya, even Tony Ferguson, right? Some of the guys that can still draw a little bit may not be that, you know, crushing pay-per-view level draw, but they're drawing. They're probably getting a little bit fatter paychecks too. It would, it would be great for the fighters. It would make a big difference. How does it affect the UFC? An important thing to note in corporate strategy is while the present is considered the as is state of things, right? There's always a to be. You need to examine the as is state. This is this is a core tenet of business analysis when you're doing a, a transformation. You have to look at the as is state, the present state, look at the to be state or the future state, and then you decide how to get there. That's That's like anything, right? And any type of strategy that you use is examining where you are right now, where you want to go, and how to get there. But especially in the corporate world, it is important to note that nothing or almost nothing is ever constant. You're either growing or you're dying. That's that's the motto that not, I mean, it's an older motto to be honest, I haven't heard it as much lately, but it was a model for a long time and it's still pretty much true in terms of the way companies are thinking, at least from what I've seen, right? And, and we're talking about, you know, the giant Amazons, Facebooks, Googles of the world, all the way down to the little startups that are all over the country in Silicon Valley, here in Austin where I'm at, where I see them all the time. You're, you're either growing or dying. There is no constant like, yep, we are making $25 million in profit a year, and we're going to just keep making $25 million in profit a year. We're just going to sit here and do our thing. We're going to, whatever that our product or service is, we're going to keep selling it at the same rate. We're going to pay our people the same amount, and we're just going to keep breaking in $25 million a year. Now, you get stretches where that's kind of the case, but even then, in those stretches, you're always looking ahead. You're always pricing in the future. It's very much like the stock market, right? If you've been paying attention to the stock market at all lately, it is up and down all over the place. It's wild. And you'll hear this phrase a lot. Well, well, the market's already priced in the Fed's interest rate change. And sure, that's true to an extent. But then when you know the Fed goes and talks, and this is American lingo, by the way, for anyone international um, listening, the federal chair, Federal Reserve, who kind of sets monetary policy, when he goes and he speaks, that's when the markets react. It's they react too when he actually they actually do something, right? When they raise interest rates, of course they react, but but they react when he speaks because they're trying to price in the future. If he seems hawkish or dovish and all this these fun words about monetary policy. That's when the markets react. They say, okay, the Fed is going to do this. I predict he's going to do this. I'm now going to move my portfolio as a hedge fund manager, as a fiduciary steward to X amount company that's doing investing. I'm now reallocating my portfolio to go after this and this and this. You're always planning for the future. The same is true in corporate strategy. You are constantly planning for the future. It is never, there's no such thing as good enough. There is only growth. There's only taking, especially as a publicly traded company, your share price to the next level. Shareholders, sure, would love to sit back and get 
you know, nice dividends for a while, but they want the stock price they own to go up. And when you're put in a leadership role in a company, no matter how big or, or small, your goal is usually growth or, you know, market penetration or something, whatever it takes to make the share price go up, selling, selling your company. The amount of companies that I've currently consulting, well, not so much anymore, but that I've done recent consulting work with, whose end goal is to be bought by a bigger company is pretty large. People don't think about that, right? Like, yes, we've got a product here. We like it. It's making money. Our end goal is in the next five years for, for somebody to, to buy us. What? Right? That's what a lot of people say is, wait, wait, what? Your, your end goal is to be bought out? Yes. Yes, that is their end goal. And that's, that's kind of an entrepreneur mindset too, right? You have these serial entrepreneurs. Well, that's what they do. They start a company. They get it profitable enough or at least show the potential. Bigger company absorbs it. They get a paycheck. They leave or they stay on if they really like it. And they kind of, you know, lead the company for a bit. And they go start another one. And that's what they love to do. They love building things, creating these new ideas, taking them to a place where, okay, I got you the big idea. We executed it enough that you're going to now actually implement it in an effective way with all the boring details, making it efficient, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I'm out. Time to go do it again. That's what a lot of companies do. And to bring this all back, because I know I've gone a little bit on some business teachings here, but I promise I do have a point. To bring it all back to the UFC, what does this have to do with 5% revenue to fighters? Well, again, the UFC is in that same mindset, especially since Endeavor bought them. Because Endeavor's publicly traded, has saddled with an exuberant amount of debt, just enormous amount of debt. And they... They are in a position where the UFC is the crown jewel. It's their moneymaker. And the, those revenue earnings that are coming out, those, those new, you know, we had the best year ever in the UFC, right? That's what was said on the last Endeavor earnings call. All of that, that's already priced into future plans. So I guarantee you that 5% chunk is not just sitting in cash, especially in a company like Endeavor. There are a couple companies that do that. They're few and far between. Apple was notorious for doing that, um, especially you know five, 10 years ago, just sitting on tons of cash. You have some bigger funds who do that, like SoftBank, who like they do that and then they kind of, great, now we've got this huge mo amount of money that we're going to just throw into these weird ventures and try and buy unicorns and do all that. Google does that a little bit too, but we're talking behemoth companies that are just still in their future plan, but they've got so much money they literally don't know what to do with. So they're just putting in cash for a rainy day, making sure their their balance sheet is good, and then they're going to find a way to use it. It's never just going to sit in cash and stay there. It's always going to be invested in some form or fashion. You may have a certain amount of cash reserves you keep on hand for an emergency fund, sure, but... Once that is filled, you don't just add to it and say, great, now I have an even bigger emergency fund, at least, at least not most companies. 
generally it's already allocated to some future growth plan. And keep in mind, Endeavor is very much in that mode. Part of their whole road tour when they went public was talking about you know all of these capabilities they were adding. Endeavor content, right? Talked about that a little bit before. They've got a couple new shows out. They're talking about doing more streaming shows and things of that nature. Yeah, that's going to keep coming. You've got the um, gambling aspect, which is huge and something that, you know, as MMA has grown, gambling has been a huge part. Really, the United States has finally kind of started to relax on the gambling side, become more European, Australian uh, counterparts in terms of having more legalized gambling everywhere. That's starting to take effect, and there's a ton of money to be made as states continue to legalize gambling. That's going to be a huge factor in this. They've got so many pieces here and such a vision and ecosystem that they want to create because that's what you do. You create a ecosystem and then you get to become an Amazon and Apple of Facebook. And that's really, I think the end goal of our Emmanuel at this point and endeavor, right? They want to be that for, just entertainment and specific entertainment areas they, they want to have all of the, you know, their talent agencies, they, they want to be scripting, streaming, creating all of this content with, you know, all the famous people that are currently under contract with them. They want to have that sports property. They want to be this giant thing that one day, I would imagine the end goal is like, oh, I'm an Endeavor guy. I love Endeavor. I love what they do. I love the UFC. I love PBR. I love their new show on Apple TV. I'm an Endeavor guy. Because when you create that community and you create that sense of an ecosystem, your customers become diehard and you end up really connecting with them on a level where you can market to their specific needs in, in a way you never thought possible. And if you don't believe me, again, look at Apple, look at um, Facebook to an extent, although not so much anymore after some of the things they've done, but look, look at the UFC. That's a prime example. How many times do we see journalists, including myself, talking about you know this UFC bubble where they will just defend the brand? Like, I don't care about fighter pay, whatever, blah, blah, blah. That's because the UFC created its own ecosystem for MMA. I mean, again, you've got ESPN in a deal with the UFC and, and you have their, their analysts talking about how, you know, oh, well, you know, he fights UFC. It's, an, it, it's literally being traded out for MMA. That's the end goal. And so that 5% that Al Jermaine's talking about, no, it's not going to kill the UFC, but a $45 million diversion into fighter revenue changes a lot of Endeavor's future plans, I would imagine. You can pay down debt with that, which, of course, we know they have a ton. You could easily start branching out into other, um, other particular areas or markets if you wanted the UFC to break into India, wanted to break them into, um, you know, Singapore and, and Southeast Asia, which seems to be kind of their new target in terms of con customer conversion. You could do that. $45 million can be used for a lot of future plans. 
and and on the growth trajectory that Endeavor has been, again, I've said it before, I'll say it again, once you set the bar to a certain level, anything less than that is viewed as a big step down and will always cause an overreaction. That's why you see on earnings calls, Facebook might be the best example of this lately where um, you know they missed some revenue, had some issues, and, and they just tanked, tanked trading their stock tr- tr- trading at a ridiculous discount for a while. Now it's back up, but it, it tanked. And, and based on their actual revenue and their fundamentals, they were in a really good spot. And yet their share tanked because, again, the market is looking at that and a bunch of people are saying, oh, no, going the wrong way. So that $45 million not hitting that $900 million or so is a big deal for Endeavor. And you look at the markets right now, Endeavor stock is not doing great. Endeavor stock is down quite a bit. And that's, again, you've had a wild market lately anyway, but it just goes to show you their fundamentals are better than they have been for quite some time. And yet, it's trading below, I believe it's below the IPO price. I don't know where the, the price is today, but it, it's significantly off its highs at, at a significant discount. Why? Because you're you're pricing in the future. So no, that 5% would not destroy the UFC at all. But it would hamper growth plans and it would affect the overall stock price if they were to come in lower than what Wall Street is expecting, right? If Wall Street analysts do the numbers, they say, okay, based on these trends, we we are expecting this growth, whatever. And then you come out and you miss that growth and you say, well, we gave it more to the fighters. They don't care about that. They don't. Wall Street does not care. Wall Street only cares what your stock price is. Oh, you gave the fighters more money? Great. That only hurts us. Why didn't you use that $45 million to acquire a new broadcast partner in a region you've never been before? Or to build a PI in, again, a place like India or or some new market that's emerging to be an MMA hotspot? Why, why didn't you use that $45 million to you know do extra advertising and marketing to reach some bigger sponsorships and and kind of keep the sponsorship train going boost up pay-per-view numbers and then parlay that into sponsorships especially regional sponsorships in areas that again might be lucrative but you just haven't broken into yet why are you giving it to the fighters where does that benefit me as a, a shareholder that's what they'll ask and that is how the ufc has been built even before endeavor took it over but you Best believe that with Endeavor taking it over 100%, it's definitely that way. Before, you had, you did have the Fertitas doing things that were probably not purely business or at least money motivational, right? 
you had fighters getting big paydays. You had more fan events. Again, International Fight Week. I keep harking back to 2015 with the three events and multiple championship fights and all the events in Vegas that they paid for that's just to make the fans happy, right? Yes, I'm sure there's some marketing there. There's some like rewarding your fans and being like, oh, okay, this is this is cool building that community. But it's also like, well, we're actually just going to spend a little bit extra because we want to do this, this, and this. It wasn't purely business in my opinion. Now they are, you know, well, you know, it wasn't purely business. Here's a better example. When you had Chuck Liddell, Matt Hughes getting those paychecks, basically doing nothing, right? Those lifetime employment contracts. Yeah, that's wasted money. But that was money that, again, they wanted to do because it wasn't about the bottom line. It was, hey, we're doing well. We want to reward our guys, all of this. But that all went away when Endeavor came in, right? You had all these cuts. Now you have a completely different structure. And we'll talk about the road to UFC here in a bit where now it's all these contender series guys. It's all about where do you maximize shareholder value and paying the fighters is not it paying the fighters just like in any corporation, right? Is essentially the same as paying your employees. You, you pay them the minimum amount possible in order to get the maximum product delivered or service price so that you can collect the margin as a business. That's how it works. Business 101. So, 5%. $45 million, multiple plans, or, or existing debt that could be paid down. That goes to the fighters. The ramifications would be, again, your, your opportunity costs for not paying down your debt, acquiring new... Um, again, sponsorships in new markets are hard without diving too far into hypotheticals. But again, let's just roll with this. That Yes, you could do that instead. Um, you could acquire bigger name guys, right? You could bring back Brock Lesnar and say, look, Brock, I'll pay you a stupid amount of money. And he says he's done fight him. I'm sure if you came back with a high enough price, you could bring him back for special matches. You, the opportunity cost of what you use that money for there's a lot of options for $45 million. And again, fighter pay doesn't really maximize shareholder value, at least not in the short term. Long term, maybe fighters are happier. Uh, they engage more, et cetera. You can make that argument that possibly down the road it's worthwhile, but short term, no, it's, it's, a, it's a sunk cost for a business. Right, That's why businesses don't pay employees what they're truly worth on the surface and they require negotiation, all this stuff. It's, it's unfortunately how society works. So just wanted to throw that out there because I've saw a lot of people like, well, of course it wouldn't kill this. You pay it 5%. Yes, sure. If, if that's the opinion, I understand why you feel that way. But from a business perspective and a shareholder perspective, which is what Endeavor does, is to maximize shareholder wealth, it is a bad business decision. That's why they don't do it. Important to realize that. They're always in a future state. Always looking at. So remember that. Because it's important to see both sides. I'm not saying wrong. We're not going in there. You can, If you watch the show enough you, or, or see me tweet enough, you know where I lean on this. But... My point is, from a business perspective, that 5% is huge. 
So just something to think about. All right, next thing I want to talk about today, PFL and Bellator ratings. This isn't for last week's PFL. Uh, this is for the week before when I was off. Have the ratings out. PFL did 144,000 on terrestrial TV, ESPN. Uh, Bellator did 115 on Showtime. Couple of things to unpack here. Uh, so we know that terrestrial TV is dying, but it's not dying that quickly, right? You still have big events, NBA playoffs being a huge part of that right now. Um, and that's part of what the PFL was up against a little bit right there on during the week. A lot of that stuff is happening. It's, it's not great. Um, that being said, those ratings are not great for either promotion, but both promotions have different strategies. And so when you look at Bellator, right, they've kind of adopted more of the Showtime boxing model, which says we have a niche fan base. We want to continue to attract some new casual viewers, put on big fights where it like spills out and becomes this huge thing. But we're mostly going to service that niche fan base. It doesn't seem like they're trying to convert as many potential customers as they used to prior to the Viacom CBS merger. That's my my gut reaction on it, right? Um, and you see this, right? Pitbull versus McKee too had almost no marketing. It, it was kind of dead dead quiet. If you were a diehard MMA fan, you knew what was going on. If you weren't, you were probably like, oh, that's happening this week. Even as diehard MMA fans, they, their marketing was a little lax. But I think that's just kind of their model is like, all right, we know we have this audience and this is, we're just going to aim to try and, and get them to be big supporters of our product and continue to spend their disposable income on us. We're still behind this paywall. We still offer this as, as a thing we do, but it's not this in your face. Like you've got to see this like marketing out the wazoo it's not a terrible strategy either considering what we've seen Bellator do when they've been on the opposite end of that, when they've been like, Hey, we're going to a, a new platform like DAZN or we're going to be on Paramount and we're, we're really like digging hard and like watch Bellator and we're spending all these marketing dollars and we're getting like pretty insignificant bumps, maybe the occasional minor bump in ratings or sponsorship that really helps us out. Cut the marketing cost dollars. And then you're still turning a profit, right? It's, as we just kind of talked about, it's profit margin. So if you can cut the costs, end up with a solid profit, even if it's less revenue than you would have had if you'd been out there just screaming from the rooftops like, hey, McKee versus Pitbull is coming. It's, it's worth it in the end because you make more actual profit. I feel like that's the strategy they're using. For PFL... They're still out there trying to convert more and more of your normal casual sports fan saying, look, this is a true tour tournament format. It's more of a an easy-to-follow type sport com as compared to we don't know who's fighting in the UFC unless you're keeping up. Same with Bellator, all this stuff. It's, hey, here's the tournament. Here's how the points work. And instantly I can look at a tournament board and say, okay, I know where everybody is. Great. I can go ahead and watch now. And that's what they're selling. Doing 144 on terrestrial TV is not great. Now, again, we don't know the internal app numbers, right? 
I have heard, I didn't hear anything about Bellator's internal app numbers. I've heard from PFL's internal app numbers that they're at least getting good reactions out of ESPN. Um, so that's great, right? And, and when you look at the deal that they made with ESPN, they did get a renewed broadcast deal and they did get an increase in rights fees. So that's that's showing you that ESPN is happy with something, right? Easy enough. But it's still not the type of viewership you want to see on your initial fight. Although I will say that card was probably one of the best PFL cards I've seen, if not the best, in quite some time. So if they keep delivering that type of product, one would hope it would start to boost the ratings. But it's it's hard to convert the audience they're looking to convert here, it seems. really is. Um, and you see this on, on social media too, right? If you have a PFL video, if you have um, anything going on PFL-wise, you get some traffic, but not nearly as much as Bellator or UFC or any of that stuff. I think part of their decisions to acquire bigger names will help a little bit, but it definitely seems like they need something else to really click more the fans. I think delivering that type of consistent card that they had at PFL one this season would help and go quite a, quite a ways, but it still feels like they, they haven't quite found their groove yet. And again, in that startup mode, that's something where they're out there selling. They are making these new sponsorships. They are getting a bunch of money in, but then you have the setback with the betting angle. Um, they're just stumbling. They're in the, the formative startup years where they're stumbling through. We'll see where they go. Again, I've said multiple times, I hope they succeed because I like the format. I like competition. I think it's good for business overall. But their ratings are definitely worse than Bellator's in the sense that Bellator and their ratings are close. And even though Bellator's is less, Showtime is in less homes and they have a completely different strategy in my opinion in my opinion at this point pfl is still on the same strategy they have had and they're not gaining the traction they need and that's rough too because when you know don davis goes out and tries to get more investor money or starts talking to more you know uh startup funds for for more funding he's got to defend those ratings he's got to defend the fact that they've kind of had those stagnant growths and those those road bumps He's got to defend the betting scandal, and and that's hard to do. Um, so yeah, we'll see where it goes again. But yeah, ratings not great for anybody not named the UFC, right? Uh, I think the last UFC ratings I saw for their last card was eight hundred thousand or something. Eight we're talking about here. So again, UFC still has the monopoly. Um, yeah, it it just is what it is on ratings. All right, next up, we've got to talk about the road to UFC, right? Which is this new tournament that's been announced. I'm going to pull up the old press release here so we can dissect into it a little bit more. So this is off the UFC site. UFC launches road to UFC with opening round in Singapore during UFC 275 fight week. Uh, road to UFC is groundbreaking win in, a groundbreaking win in advance tournament that will take top MMA prospects from Asia and give them a pathway to a UFC contract. The tournament will feature eight mixed martial arts athletes competing in each of four men's weight classes, flyweight, bantamweight, featherweight, and lightweight. 
The opening round of Road to UFC will take place across two days, June 9th and 10th at Singapore Indoor Stadium ahead of UFC 275. Uh, UFC contract will be awarded to each of the four divisions winners. Uh, participating athletes from the Road to UFC come from Japan, Korea, Philippines, Thailand, Indonesia, India, and from the UFC Academy in China. Uh, to provide additional opportunities for MMA prospects in Asia, there will also be one non-tournament bout each card for a total of five bouts on each event. All rounds of the tournament take place in front of a live audience, location, venue details announced prior to the event, etc. cetera. Uh, admission is free and tickets will be available on first-come, first-served basis. Um, anybody that's purchased VIP package for UFC 275 will get a reserved seat. So... Here's the thing. Um, then they go on to list all the different uh, broadcast rights, like your international UFC Fight Pass, China, uh, Migu, Hong Kong, Now Sports, where to watch this. So this is a very smart marketing ploy by the UFC, right? People have been clamoring for tournaments. They've been clamoring, like, give us tournaments, give us tournaments. Now they do it, but they don't do it with actual UFC fighters currently in the organization they do it with people trying to get into the UFC. And they're doing it, again, in kind of a fan access type of way, right? It's free admission. So if you're going to UFC 275 and you're in Singapore, you can say, great, fight week. Like, I'm going to go check out this tournament and see how everybody's doing. Like, this is cool. And, and you press can be there as well. If you buy their VIP packages, you get a reserve seat there, all that stuff. It's not shocking that they're doing this for a couple of reasons. One, again, would not be surprised at all that if you win that contract, it's a 10K, 10K or 12K, 12K, maybe, but probably, probably 10K, 10K. Two, it finally gives fans tournaments, the hardcore, hardcore fans tournaments they've been asking for. And it's allowing to show said tournaments through fight pass or their, regional partners if fight pass doesn't exist but again that's more incentive to be like oh man like i gotta get fight pass because i want to watch this tournament who's gonna get in right and it takes the the same type of main course if you will from tough enough that they parlayed into dana white's contender series and puts it you know combines them in a way it's just fights and it's in a tournament people love tournaments they always have. I love tournaments. Hell, that's the PFL's entire business model is here's one giant tournament. So it makes a lot of sense because you're going to get big regional inv involvement, which again, all of the countries that I listed are regions that the UFC is trying to make more headway in and in inroads to, right? They want, obviously more Chinese fighters to rise up and, and become higher division stars, especially after what, uh, uh, especially after what Wei Li did. Sorry, it's been a long day. I say that every podcast, but you know what I mean? Uh, especially after what Wei Li did, right? They want more from that region. They want more from Indonesia, Japan. They want to, again, acquire more customers in, the Southeast Asia region. That, that is a, a target that they're going after. And it's generally been one's home base, right? That's where one has kind of been stationed. And this is just going into their backyard and not only hosting a pay-per-view there, but then 
hosting these tournaments. I mean, it's it's really just kind of poaching and some ways just putting one in its place saying like, yeah, all right, you've been here. That's great. Big boys are coming to town. Thanks for, you know, cultivating some of these fighters and kind of setting the grounds for us here so that as fighters come up, we can now kind of take what we want. Makes a lot of business sense. It's clear that they're trying to at least move into that region a little bit. We know that they just, um, you know, they just signed a re-up or they're going to sign a re-up with UK broadcast rights. I'm assuming here that they're going to also have other media rights in this area come up. And this is what they're doing to kind of, you know, stir up some interest. Let me know in the comments if you are interested in watching these tournaments, right? How much does that interest you? Because we're talking about either super ultra prospects that not a lot of people have heard of. I've heard of some of them, uh, but that's just because I have a couple friends in the media that, you know, have been touting them. I haven't been like watching their fights. It's just like, oh, I know this guy because, yeah, you know, this person has been kind of talking about him and I saw him talking about him on Twitter. Great. So I know a couple, but, you know, I want to know from you as the fans of this sport, what what intrigues you about this, if anything? If you're not going to watch, just say like, I'm not going to watch that. But, but if it's like, oh no, I can't wait to see this. It, it, be curious to see the reasoning for you watching these. Because again, there are plenty of, of tournaments happening in other regional promotions. There are you know tournaments happening in Bellator that are actually in and in PFL. If you're watching this one, why? Is it just the tournament's format? Is it because it's the UFC? Let me know, because I'm very curious about that. But again, this is a good business move, because it's going to allow them to farm the best prospects through a trial by fire, because it's not just going to be like, hey, we watched this guy fight once. He looked good in, in his fight. Let's go ahead and sign him. It's going to be like, no, we we compiled eight of those guys in four weight classes and now we're going to have them fight each other. And then whoever survives, yeah, probably deserves a contract because we picked eight in each weight class. It's a, just another layer of a job interview, really, right? Is it just like, okay, great. Instead of just watching you do one fight, you did well enough. We've got the right record. We're the right management team talking to us. Okay, we'll go ahead and put you in this tourney and then it's in your hands. You win the tourney, great, you're in. Let's go from there. And, and again, it's going to be low cost. It's going to be low cost for them. So you get free PR, you get, um, you know, a tournament format that diehards have been just, you know, on and on about, and you get to put it on your platforms. You give fans an extra, like, fan experience at Access, which is great because I know that's something that some fans have, have said, and they've been, I know they've been compiling feedback. I don't know what that entire feedback has looked like in terms of, hey, fan, you went to a fan experience or a pay-per-view? Like, let us know in the survey what you thought. Wouldn't be surprised if they're like, yeah, it's great, but wish we had more stuff. Well, here you go. Makes business sense, man. Makes a lot of business sense. Moving right along, let's do our new quick hits segment. I'm going to talk about three things where I feel like it's important to mention, but I don't want to kind of ramble on uh, on each subject, as, as some of you know that I tend to do. Important ones in this quick hits, but let's let's see... See how you guys take this. And also, let me know your feedback on this. Would 
Would you have liked any of these stories to be broken down more in depth? Uh, do you like the quick hit segment? Let me know in the comments below because I'm, I'm curious on that as well. So with that in mind, quick hits, here it is. First up, uh, you've got David Zaslov, who is the CEO of Discovery, Warner, whatever the heck it is now, uh, giant crazy merger. Uh, he's got a deal going on right now looking to acquire BT Sport. BT Sport is obviously a big provider of UFC rights, and Sports Journal kind of mentioned that Zazov was dipping his toes into the UFC pool, so to speak. Uh, he's done this before, right? Discovery had the rights to the UFC in Netherlands and I think in one other area. So it's not his first time dealing with the UFC, but it is interesting because Zaslav is the type of guy where as, as he's taken over Warner and Discovery, a big thing he's done is talked about how live sports are going to be a big part moving forward, how certain scripted TV needs to be cut, um, there's been a lot of talk about AEW, which is currently on, you know, TBS, right? And they've there's been this back and forth of what what do they? I'm talking about pro wrestling just for a second, I promise. Um, but they've basically essentially said, you know, do you consider pro AEW an actual live sporting event? Do you consider it more of a scripted series? Uh, that's going to be important because of the changes that are coming down with this new merger, right? Um, you already had CNN Plus be axed after like one or two months being up which is one i think one month which is just ugh, that's something um so they're they're making big changes over there it's very possible that zaslov gets involved through bt sport likes the ufc and then makes a big play for the media rights deal for the ufc when they come up 2026 right and give espn some competition especially if his directive is to really go out there and acquire a big sports property and really kind of you know, say, hey, we need to start doing this, would not be not be shocked at all for him to go after that. HBO has, you know, a background in boxing and, and hosting, you know, boxing things as well, I believe. Um, I mean, yeah, it's not it's not surprising at all that Zaslav might, might say, hey, you know what would be great for HBO Max? Let's uh, get UFC there. So that is important. That is something to just keep an eye on. I'll let you know if I hear anything more on that. It'll be a while, obviously. But we'll see what his mood is in terms of the UFC. Uh, return of the Ultimate Fighter. The Ultimate Fighter is back this week. Got Pena versus Amanda Nunes. I get asked all the time, why is the Ultimate Fighter still on? Seems like nobody has a real real good answer. Let me know again below if you are watching the Ultimate Fighter. I haven't watched it yet. I will because I do like to watch the Ultimate Fighter. Personally, it is my favorite place to watch and then bet on the finals when eventually you have the winners fight on a UFC card because usually the betting lines are kind of ridiculous, like just kind of easy to pick, not too bad because nobody really knows because they haven't been watching the Ultimate Fighter. Um, made some good money on uh, on watching the Ultimate Fighter and then betting on the finales. That all being said, why is Tough still around? Why is it back? Well, yes, you have Pena versus Nunez, sure, blah, blah, blah. It's not necessarily about the ratings as much as it is content, right? ESPN Plus still needs content. Any any platform, streaming platform, wants a certain level of content. We saw Netflix do this when they were ramping up stuff, you know, three or four years ago, right, where they were just, the running joke was, oh, you just pitch a script to Netflix, they'll just say, yes, done, right? They just want to have a certain amount of contact. ESPN Plus is in that mode. And it's hard with live sports because 
a lot of live sports are under certain broadcasting rights deals that don't come up for renegotiation except for, you know, several years down the line. So it's not like you can just, the next year comes up and you're like, you know what, I'm going to just add a bunch of random, you know, sports and baseball teams and whatever that I'm going to put on ESPN. Like, no, there's all these deals in place. So you need to fill the app with other content. And that content includes stuff like this. And yes, it is showing the fights. There's enough of a following of it that it's keeping it alive, right? But I think it's transitioned from, yes, this was a huge boon for us. It helped make us so popular. It was a big ratings thing in the reality TV era. And instead switched over to, yeah, we just need content. And like, this is a cool reality thing that we can have on our platform. So ESPN Plus says, of course, we'll take it. Why not? Sure. And again, you get hypothetically really good fighters out of it for the UFC. So it's another farming type of uh, system, especially because this farming system is able to show a lot of personality for those that are following, right? It helps them weed stars out, all that stuff. So that's what that is. Uh, Last thing on the quick hit section, we are doing Bellator versus Eagle FC has talked about a crossover. Uh, Yeah. It seems like they've got one fighter, the pink Panther guy going over already. Makes sense, right? I mean, this is what Bellator does. They did with Ryzen. Makes makes perfect sense to do it with uh, Habib's Eagle FC too. Smart play for both of them. It, it elevates them a little bit. You get some cool cross-promotional fights, especially as Eagle FC kind of comes into its own in the States and and gets more prominent with Habib's uh, ownership. So, yeah, why not? I think it's a smart business play, and I, I encourage more smaller promotions to do this. Again, not to go back to pro wrestling, that's what AEW is doing with the whole Forbidden Door thing with New Japan. It's If you're a smaller fish in the pond right now, teaming up and doing cross-promotional events is only going to help you. It's only going to make you seem bigger. Right? So, yeah, I think it's a good call. That's quick section. I know that's a little bit longer than normal, but yeah, we, we had some juicy ones there. So, again, let me know what you think of this segment. If you like, if you want me to cut it, let me know. Appreciate that feedback. All right, last thing we're going to cover for today's show. You've got two very high-profile free agents in Francis Ngannou and Chris Cyborg. And the question is, where are they going to go, right? Boxing has become a big, big area for both of them now. For Francis, you have, you know, him being... On the White Fury boxing pay-per-view where Fury kind of calls him out. Says like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do the thing. I'm retired from boxing. Let's do this. And then for Cyborg, you have the Serrano-Taylor fight happening. And then I believe it was Eddie Hearns um, talking about, you know, having Katie Taylor fighting Chris Cyborg. Uh, Again, big, big deals. Or targeting Chris Cyborg as a potential fight. Where should they go, right? Boxing or MMA? Should they, you know, stay in their lane? Should they try and cross over? And we'll talk more about substitutes. I'll probably do next week's episode just talking more about substitutes and some of the market forces going on here. I know I've talked about that a little bit, but I wanted to do a more in-depth breakdown of that, um, especially as this continues to heat up. But for both of them, 
it would make more sense to do the boxing fight if they could, right? Um, yes, you have Cyborg versus Kayla Harrison in the PFL's pay-per-view division. And I'm sure Bellator and PFL will offer a fair amount of money. It will still pale probably in comparison to what Cyborg can make fighting Katie Taylor. I mean, Serrano Taylor was a huge event. It, it was one of the biggest women's fights in quite some time in boxing. Makes a lot of sense for Cyborg to get in on that while she can. Because the Harrison fight again will be there whenever. I mean, it's 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 hard not to think that that fight wouldn't be there if she went to she went and did a one off in boxing. She could easily come back to Bellator or PFL, right? She's the hottest woman free agent in MMA, easily, easily. And a lot of people were saying that Kayla Harrison was no Cyborg is a tried and true, tested draw. I know some of you thought I was going to say champion. Nope, draw. Tried into tested draw is what Cyborg is. She can move numbers. She's going to be sought after. Nganu, on the other hand, right? Gets called out by Fury. We, we've known the back and forth issues they've had with Dana. Dana White in a recent interview with TMZ saying, yeah, well, you know, we don't want to see that fight. I mean, it's what one of the best, the greatest heavyweight boxer in the world, you know, ever versus one of my guys. Like, Oh no, we don't want to see that. Dana is, is playing that off because he knows that fight will never get done because Nganu and Markel Martin are never going to let him take a huge chunk of the pie. I guarantee that if Gato comes to him and says, like, look, I don't care what it takes. Give me, like, just a small sliver of this. You can have the majority of the money. You know, let's just get this done. Dana's out there hyping this up, saying this is going to be, you know, guy with the Ford Escort punching power. Like, anything can happen. We've seen Fury get rocked, all this stuff. It's it's Dana getting ahead of it by saying, like, oh, no, you know, we don't want to see that. Trying to downplay this because that's, you know, the move. That's what Dana does as a prom- promoter. That's his job. Right. So this isn't shocking uh, that he's saying this and, and kind of putting it out there. And again, I have full faith that Nganu is going to fight Tyson Fury. Tyson Fury has said he wants it. Once Nganu is healed up and his contract is up, you best believe they're doing that fight because Fury has officially retired from competitive boxing, at least for now. So he says. So that's an exhibition for him. That's easy. That's a big money making crossover type thing at least in his mind. Um, and yeah, I think it would do well, honestly, right? Um, but yeah, it, it's just one of those things where the amount of money Ngannou would make with that fight just dwarfs whatever the UFC is offering him right now. And the UFC could be a part of it and probably get a small share, but they'd probably have to give him more money on top of that, and, and it's just not what the UFC is going to do. So boxing is the better play for both of them because they're going to make more money. Boxing is also very much a one-off type thing, right? Um, Now, if you're actually a boxer, it's not a one-off type thing, but it's easy enough in boxing to come in as an outsider, do a fight and get out. We've seen that happen. I mean, Jake Paul could have done that. Logan Paul has semi done that with his two fights or three fights or whatever it was against 
the other YouTuber and then against Floyd, right? It's easy to come in and say, yeah, you know what? Cool, I'm big enough name. Let's just go ahead and do a boxing fight and then I, I'm out. It's kind of viewed that way. MMA is a little bit different, right? If CM Punk is a great example of this. You can't just come in and and if you have some some background, which, I mean, he trained for a bit. He didn't really have like background, background. Uh, that, that's not how it's viewed in the sport, right? It's like, oh, okay, CM Punk's going to fight a guy in the UFC. He's going to get crushed. And he did twice, you know, um, against low-level guys. You're not going to see, and then we've seen, you know, back in the day, James Tony, uh, Randy Couture, right? Like, it, it's we've seen wrestlers just going to destroy boxers. It's not exactly the same. But there are MMA fighters who have enough boxing skill or power a la Francis Ngannou, that they can at least make it be somewhat more of a competitive exhibition, right? Makes it more intriguing. So boxing is the clear choice for both of them. The real question is, will others follow, right? You had McGregor do this initially when he fought Floyd. Uh, now you've got Ngannou and, and Cyborg doing this will more continue to move over. You've had Ben Askren, you've had Tyron Woodley. I feel like the answer is probably yes. And again, when we do the substitutes video, I'll talk about that more. And that's most of my content for next week, I would imagine, unless other breaking news comes up. Let me know again if you want to hear that. If all of a sudden I get a bunch of people saying like, don't do a substitutes video, we don't care. Then okay, I will refrain from it. But I feel like it's needed at this point. Um, and yeah, I, I think you'll see both Cyborg and Nganu go into boxing. Nganu for sure. I think that's pretty much a done deal at this point. Cyborg, if they can get the fight done, yes. But if Taylor and, um, you know, uh, either Serrano, again, in a rematch or another competitor, maybe you see Cyborg instead go fight Kayla Harrison or, or, this would be out there, but I could easily see them doing Cyborg versus Clarissa Shields in kind of a stand-up only type brawl, right? Or maybe it's not explicitly stand-up only, but maybe it's like, hey, maybe just do stand-up only. Um, or she goes back to Bellator and Coker pays her a bunch of money to just keep, you know, destroying people at featherweight too. There's a lot of options for her. Um, but I think boxing is the best move for both. I think it's pretty clear at this point, given their power, in, in terms of, of star power, I mean, punching power too, but really more star power. Um, boxing is going to yield them a far better result than MMA can in terms of monetary rewards and crossover potential at this point. They're both well-known enough in their sport. It's going to be harder to attract newer fans without, you know, having them come in through other methods. You go into boxing, you get your name in front of a different crowd that might not necessarily know who you are may have kind of heard of you but you know i haven't really seen you in action yet so it also expands your your marketing to new potential fans and thus customers for your merch all that fun stuff so boxing is the way to go right now is what it is all right guys well that wraps up another episode of the fight business podcast apologize about last week it was a last minute thing it was out of my hands um We'll explain more on that down the road. Also, yes, I've notably left out a couple of things that I will touch on soon. Soon. Um, again, 
discussion for a later day, but there, there is reasoning behind it. Trust me. There's a couple glaring things. I know people are gonna be like, why didn't you talk about this? And I'll be like, don't worry about it. We'll get to it. Trust me. We're going to get to it. Big things in the work on those subjects. Um, yeah, just trust me on this one. I'm building something. It's taking a little bit longer. It's going to be worth the wait. With that in mind, again, thank you so much for listening. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that like button, subscribe, bell notification. If you're listening on Anchor, Apple, Spotify, what have you, lo- love you guys. Appreciate it. Remember, we're on the Sure Dog uh, podcast now. Um, I have re-uploaded some of the old episodes to Anchor through mine, but uh, at, at this point, I'm not sure where that's going. So stick to the Sure Dog official podcasts. Um, and until next time, get money. <laughs>